listening to From Maker to Manufacturing, a podcast about what it really takes to grow a handmade business. Hey guys, welcome to episode 9 of From Maker to Manufacturing. I'm your host, Sarah Cooley. On today's episode, we have our first male guest ever, Jarrett from Damn Handsome Grooming Company based in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yes, I know, two Michigan entrepreneurs back to back, but they know each other and I think it's a pretty interesting view on what's happening in the West Michigan area for entrepreneurs and makers. This episode is very long, but I hope you guys enjoy it. Our last long episode, I had everybody telling me they were listening to it in the studio and they were working, that they really enjoyed the longer episodes. So I hope you guys enjoy it, appreciate it, and let me know if it gets a little bit too long or rambly. I kind of want to tailor this podcast more to everybody's tastes, so I really want to know what you guys think, if you're enjoying these longer episodes, if you're enjoying the content. Um, Also, let me know if we're repeating content a little bit too much. I don't know. I think everyone kind of has similar struggles, but I also don't want the podcast to get too repetitive. So I'd love some feedback. Leave a comment on Instagram or shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. There's some slight audio difficulties in this episode, so please bear with us. Um, I did my best to try and edit around them and make the sound as good as it could possibly get, but again, I'm not an audio engineer, so I'm really trying my best. There's a little bit of echo, and there's definitely a little bit of background noise in some of Jared's clips when it sounded like a motorcycle went by or a large truck or something like that, and there was just kind of no way around it because he was talking. So I hope you guys really enjoy it, and let's get into the episode. Hi, Jarrett. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So we have back-to-back Kalamazoo entrepreneurs on uh, the show. We had Lush Nuts last week, and uh, this week we have you guys from Damn Handsome Grooming Company. Yes, yes. Love Lush Nuts. Yeah, she was uh, gushing about you guys and the little beer nut uh, partnership you guys did. Yeah, yeah, we had a lot of fun with that. That was... um... One of the things that's really cool about this kind of level of um, manufacturing is able to collaborate with people who are like-minded and get it to market really quick. And that's what we did with Bissereth and Lush Nuts. And it was, uh, I I mean, I think I had some today. Like, they're just (laughs) things that we keep keep mowing on. Awesome. So why don't you just introduce yourself to all the listeners who don't know who you are and give us a little background um, on your company. Sure. Uh, my name is Jarrett. Um, I'm the creative director and owner of Damn Handsome Grooming Co. And Damn Handsome is a men's focused line of grooming products specializing in sustainable goods, but also in beer. So really what we do is we partner with craft breweries in Michigan and reuse products that normally would go to waste that um, are actually really, really great for your hair and your skin. So we put them into our goods and we try and make everything as utilitarian and dual purpose as possible while reducing our carbon footprint. We, we Everything we do is, is either recycled or upcycled from our craft paper to our, uh, our labels to even our packing material. So we, we hope that we can do good business by doing good. And for every purchase we make on our site, we also donate soap to those in need. 
So we have kind of a, um, a one-two punch, hopefully. That's so amazing. I think that you're able to to see something that was essentially being you know, thrown away or essentially considered a waste product of a production and say, hey, this, this stuff still has some, you know, some use in it, some life in it. Was this just like, how did that idea come to you? Because it's not something that, you know, you think of every day. <laughs> it was kind of a perfect storm of events. Um, I actually had just quit uh, a marketing job that I had. Uh, uh, I was really burned out with, with marketing at that time. I really wanted to do something for myself. I knew it was kind of in the men's um, uh, kind of stride as far as fashion and things that were really kind of on trend right now, but I had no idea what that was. And I was literally sitting in a brewery and talking with a brewer and we were just talking about all kind of the you know, struggles of each sort of job. And uh, it kind of came up what actually happens in the brewing process. So I began to familiarize myself with that. And then all of a sudden it just kind of clicked. Like, I think there's something that we can do with this. So, you know, of course, I got on Google and researched for long, long months and months and months. And uh, I had never made silk before. I'd never, you know, done anything like that before. So it was um, it was a crazy win. Everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> Serious. I mean, people were like, okay, so he's not working in marketing anymore. He is making beer soap in his kitchen. That's, that's really great. Um, but I think at the, you know, the bottom line is I, I really realized that there was a hole kind of in that marketplace for guys. I really had a, a clear idea of, of where we could go with it and how much fun we could have with it. And I think that's something that's still, I think people still think I'm crazy today sometimes even, um, especially with new products and stuff like that. But uh, it, it just kind of started from wanting to branch out and do my own thing and, and really stand behind it mm-hmm. and really be able to to talk with passion about something that I was doing. Wow. I mean, I think that your background mirrors mine almost identically. I was also in marketing when I started Simply Curated. And you're right. People don't – you're leaving like a stable job with like, you know, decent income in an industry that's interesting. And you're going to go do, you know, this totally different, you know, thing. It wasn't like I had been making – People ask me, like, oh, how long have you been making candles? Or, like, how, you know, think that I've been making them since I was, like, a kid, where that's really not the the case. I saw, a, again, I saw a hole in the market, and I just felt like, okay, cool, we'll, we'll do something different and more upscale and more designy. And I think that when you have a marketing background, what what makes people think that you're crazy is you're able to see so much farther in the future, you know, and... You can see you saw the vision of a company that had this big of a line, right? When you were just making one product and people can't understand that. And it's hard in the beginning, essentially, to communicate that with people because you, you do sound crazy. You sound like. Right. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I read once I read and it really resonated with me. I read that really good entrepreneurs can see around corners. And I don't think that we can, but I. Like, I felt that. I felt like, mm-hmm. guys, just give me six months. <laughs> let me show you. And, you know, it, we, we constantly go back to that where it's like, give me six months. Let, let me show you what this product can do. And I swear it's going to work. And um, it's a terrifying thing at first. Actually, you know what? Not even at first. It's still terrifying because it could all collapse any day, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's scary. It's scary all the time. It doesn't get easier to make those kinds of jumps and leaps and have that kind of faith. It's not, it's just not, it doesn't get easier. Like it's still, it's still hard. So you started out just making beer soap and did you call it beer soap specifically for, you know, marketing purposes or, you know, are, are there, cause I mean, there are beer ingredients in it, but you know, what, what does the process look like and how'd you kind of come up with that name to launch the whole brand? Well, at the time for us, um, there deep in the dark corners of the internet, they were like beer soap recipes. Um, <laughs> And they were mainly like overseas, like in the UK. And what people were actually doing is like Guinness beer soap. So they were pouring mm-hmm. bottles of Guinness, which is okay. Um, but really a lot of the nutrients from the beer kind of burns off in the process. So you don't yeah. really get the effects. So I thought we'd take it a step further. We would go to breweries and we would get spent grains. We'd grind them up. We'd, you know, infuse our oil with hops. We would go the whole route. So we had that mass amount of nutrients like i said at that time there were really only a couple people doing it and so we did call it beer it was literally just damn handsome beer soap and now of course there's a lot of beer soap and i don't think we inspire people i think that it was just it was bound to happen Mm -hmm. um but it was literally yeah we called it damn handsome beer soap and i did that for one reason was I would go on Instagram or on Google Images and you would see all these photos of packaging, beautiful packaging, beautiful labels, logos, but you never knew who did it. Mm-hmm. Like you could never figure out who the brand was with all these smaller companies. So I figured that for us, if we could throw our name in there somewhere in every product, at least people would be like, oh, yeah, well, that's Dan Hansen. Ah, uh, uh, I see. That's kind of really what was the game. Damn handsome beer soap, damn handsome beer oil, damn handsome, you know, aftershave. Um, because I really wanted to kind of like steer that into anyone who was trolling or, you know, creeping on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I wanted that to be really apparent. Um, but yeah, at first it was literally damn handsome beer soap. And we went to the farmer's market in Gallimazoo was our first trial run. And, um, we had no idea what we were going to do. And, you know, after about an hour, we were like, okay, this thing has some legs. Like, <laughs> let's, we need to go home and we need to tight, tighten up our pitch. We need to figure out, you know, how we're actually going to speak to people about this. And uh, I think that that was the best thing that we could have done at that beginning point was get in front of people and be forced to talk to them. Um, and I would encourage anyone to do that, especially if you're solely an online business. It gets, you have to talk to people at some point, whether you're wholesaling or whether you're, you know, um, customer service. And the best thing for us is we got out there and just did it and ripped the bandaid off really quickly. Yeah. Get nothing. No one, you can't underestimate, you know, getting in front of people and, and just seeing their reactions and talking to them. And you might think you know how to explain it to somebody because it makes sense in your head. But the first time that those words are coming out of your mouth and the person in front of you has a blank stare on their face, you're like, oh, I got to say this differently or I got to word it differently. Or you start to be able to anticipate their questions based on what they're looking at. And so you you start to know, oh, the bullet points. Oh, let me answer this question before they ask it or those kinds of things. You learn that and you perfect it. And it helps with retail and, you know, and with wholesale. And it'll help you write your online descriptions. It'll help, you know, with all that kind of stuff. It's that in-person feedback that's, it's invaluable. Well, and for us, it even played into some of our marketing taglines. 
Um, you know, a lot of what we got in that first, you know, those first few weeks were like, why would you waste beer? And we go, no, no, we, we don't waste beer. We actually save it. And somehow that's found a way into some of our collateral that we put out there, you know, why waste damn good beer? That really came from just talking to people. And they're like, why, why would you put, why would you put Bell's beer in, right. in the soap? And we're like, no, oh, we saved Bell's beer into the soap. So, um, it was just the biggest uh, stepping stone for us. And we, we really figured out how, how we should be talking to people about our product. So how quickly did you launch a second product? You, how, how long did you stay just soap? And then when did you kind of start to branch out? Was it very, very early or did it take a while? Yeah, I think within the first, I think that first um, event that we had was we had soap, and we had beard oil. Um, and beard oil was just something that I knew I wanted to do really quickly um, because it was not only was it on trend, but it was um, it was just something that I feel like people were were looking for. And they, people would come up to us and say, oh, I shampoo my beard or I, I use, you know, Dove for men or whatever. And it was just... Um, that step into the grooming aspect out of the novelty that I knew we wanted a foot in right away. And so from that, we branched out to like tattoo balm and lip balm. And then um, we eventually did uh, like beard balm and aftershave. And that was all within the first summer. And I don't recommend that. I definitely don't recommend doing that many skews um, all at once. But that was kind of the fun. I mean, we were just pushing the envelope at that point. Um, but if anyone were to come to me and say, hey, should I start off with 20 SKUs or 15 SKUs? I would say, absolutely not. Don't do it. Um, because all of a sudden people want it and it's hard to scale up at that point. Yeah. If your processes aren't very, very similar, I would say it's easier. Like with, with me, it's easier to add SKUs because we're essentially still making the same product, right? The size might change, the scent might change, but still it's just candles. The formula isn't different. I don't have to teach somebody how to make an entirely different thing, right? With you guys, you're adding it's a whole new process. Every new SKU is a completely different product, formula, everything. So yeah, I can understand how that would be increasingly difficult. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's also really exciting and it still is. And it's, um, you know, it's really a, kind of like a love hate relationship because we want to keep pushing. We have a laundry list of products that we want to bring out and it's, it's, um, it's exciting and it's frustrating and, I don't think it'll ever change for us, honestly. I think that's just the mentality is we we want to keep pushing it and see how far we can go. So if you you launched late 2013 and then you said all of this was like the first summer, so summer 2014 or was this summer 2013? This was summer 2013. Okay, so you launched mid-year 2013-ish. Yeah. Well, Far, farmer's guess, yeah. market season 2013. Our, yeah, there we go. Let's look at it like that. Okay. So you're you're still kind of like when you're introducing all these new products, primarily selling directly to to the customers in person or primarily online? Well, you know, really the um, amazing and frustrating thing with Damn Handsome is as soon as we put something out there that we think is direct to consumer, somebody comes up and wants to wholesale it. Yeah. And um, that really happened with us at the farmer's market. Um, we started doing a lot with Instagram because it seemed the most accessible platform for us uh, just to get the word out. And 
really quickly, we got responses from, you know, I think our first two or three wholesale accounts weren't even from Michigan. They were from all across the country. I think uh, San Diego was one and then Minneapolis was one. People really wanted to wholesale very quickly and we didn't even have a line sheet. We didn't even know what that we had never anticipated. Really quick, really quickly, we had to get all of that stuff finalized and um, kind of increase our margins where we could. We had to start buying bigger products and we were still operating out of the kitchen at that point. So it's, it was um, a crazy summer and it, it just, it continued to, to be like that. And it still is where people contact us just as soon as we think that we are kind of ahead of the curve. We get an email or a request and we realize we're probably never going to be ahead of the curve. We're always going to be, you know, one step forward, two step back. And part of that was, you know, we started with $200 and we never had investors. We, we never um, reached out to anyone for financing. So it's always like drain the bank account, get product, make the product, mm-hmm. get, the, get, get the return on that, drain the bank account again. And that's kind of always um, how it's been for us so far. And it's exciting, but frustrating also. Yeah, I mean, cash flow can be very frustrating. And especially when you start, you know, in wholesale, you guys kind of just had, uh, and most people have this experience, it's a say yes and figure it out later, right? Like somebody wants to sell your product, that's so exciting. And then you realize, oh, wait, our our margins, right, for wholesale, can we do this and still make money? You know, like, there's, there's all kinds of things. So um yeah, it's definitely tough to to scale that quickly. So how long did you stay, you know, in your kitchen? Is you and your wife in the beginning? Um, actually, it was just me um, up until, and we were in the kitchen up until about this time last year. Um, and it was still just me. And then last year we, we moved to a space. And um, then in October, we had our, our son came aboard. And that's when my wife kind of came aboard as well. So um, it's just been really in the in the past seven months that we've taken the the huge plunge. And mainly it was because it was just getting out of control. I think our male person like last December at our kitchen at our house was going to like burn our place down because they're like, (laughs) you can't ship out this many packages a day. Like it's just insane. Oh man, uh, if you're running a business out of your house, you need to give your UPS guy and your mailman such a nice Christmas check. Like it's ridiculous. We, they, they know when you start a business too, because all of a sudden you're getting like deliveries of how much oil at a time and all this stuff. And they're like, what's going on? In here? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, it was, um, we just were exploding at the seams, you know, at that point. And, it was scary, really scary to take on a lease and to, you know, now we're bringing on employees. And that's a scary thing. But, you know, you kind of you really commit to it at that point. And you decide, OK, this we're, we're pushing forward with this. And, you know, and we're at that point again where we want to push forward even more. And so I feel like every year we kind of circle back to this uneasy feeling, especially, you know, we're talking holidays now. It's, I know that's crazy, but I'm sure you're doing the same thing, you know. Uh, we have an intern right now. He's doing some photos for us. And I said, uh, well, so next week we're going to do holiday photos. And he looked at me like, insane. No, trust me, we're doing holiday photos next week. Yeah, I right before we got on this call, I got a extremely troubling email. Um, we're changing some of our packaging. And 
you know, I, I know that we signed off on everything. We got the press proofs and everything. And so it's supposed to be, you know, going into production. And then I just got this email and it said that the ship date is like the 13th of June. And I'm like, that, that won't work out. Like that, we have to have it shipped to, like going to a, um, a showroom by that date. Like that's our ship date to go to a trade show. Like this is going to be not good. Like, so I sent a very strongly worded email, but of course you never know. You can't, these things, they just, they just happen. And what are you going to do? But yeah, when I, when I tell my friends like, oh yeah, we're already, you know, I'm planning our, like we're working on our January release and like holidays it's all just like doing it now and executing it but all the marketing you know it's it's june really you got to have catalogs and photos and stuff done if for wholesale yeah it's uh july and august yeah and I, I don't know about you but we we do everything in-house we do all graphic all photos all, we, we do everything so um you know for people who do that it's I mean, you really have to look far, far down the road. And not only once, once you have the recipe or once you have, you know, even the thought, but if you're doing, gra- I mean, graphic work is so grueling and mm-hmm. then ordering labels and get labels shipped and then getting packaging and containers. And, you know, I think that that's one resource I really wish that I had um, some advice on early on is packaging because it's really hard to navigate those waters and, um, Fortunately for us, we were, we were capable of doing graphic early on, but if we had to outsource that mm-hmm. and, you know, figure all that out again, oh, that'd be a huge hurdle. So I, that's one advice that I really wish I would have had some input on. And I don't, I don't know about you. I mean, your packaging is so intricate. Um, Thank you. You know, that's got to be a huge undertaking. Well, our, we did outsource our packaging. Our, well, our, I should clarify, our boxes. Um, basically when we, when I first started, I was pouring candles in original vintage glassware. So the glassware already had designs. They were like sixties and seventies, George Briard, like beautiful Mad Men style kind of stuff. Gorgeous. One of a kind, horrible for wholesale, but like every, you know, just like you said, as soon as you start selling in person, right, everybody wants it and that wasn't going to work. So then I had this vision of designing our own patterns and getting them screen printed on glass. And I had no idea where to start or how expensive it was going to be. And let me just tell you, they are so expensive. Oh my gosh. But once I, yeah. You can't just order a hundred. Oh, no. You've got to like, you have to go all in. Well, you know, for this, eh, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag because we had, when we launched with the cocktail collection, we launched with four patterns just because that was all I could really afford. And we bought them. I think our original vendor, actually, I could order them 72 at a time, but, you know, 72 times four, but they were like $4, $5 a glass. Like they were hella expensive because they have real gold on them. They were so expensive and they're still about $4 a glass, even though we order twice as much or three times as much. Um, But I could not even find, I couldn't find a better price on this if I tried. My best bet is like, well, I, I know that if we went directly to the glass manufacturer, they do this kind of work. However, I have gotten quotes and your opening order has to be 10 grand and you have to make a $50,000 yearly spend commitment. So there's that. That's not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah, <laughs> we, what- we ran the same thing with like cosmetic bottles. Um, 
and and all that stuff. And so it's so you really have to go to like the run of the mill packaging, which is fine, which you can make it work. But you're just like, oh, but if I could do that, you know. Well, then, um, then you run into the issue too of like when you have a creative vision, and you realize that what you want is not made in the U.S. anymore. <laughs> it's just a fact. And like as as you know, entrepreneurs who are very local and we're in this handmade movement, and you're all this stuff. You know, you want everything to be made in the U.S. And to be honest, it's just not possible. Sometimes it's not your fault. This entire industry has been outsourced to China. And you can't get jars that are made for that price. You, you just can't. I had a quote from a tin company. The only thing we have that's made in China are our travel candle tins. All our glasses made in the U.S. We, you know, I try my best, but those tins, you can't get them in the U.S. I'm so sorry, people. But I had a quote <laughs> from a from a tin company to do them like custom because they didn't make that size in the U.S. Three times what I pay for them. From a distributor. So, like, you know, I'm not even getting rock bottom prices. Like, I'm going through a guy who's going through a guy. And and that's it's so much cheaper than what I could get, you know, direct from a company who's manufacturing here in the States. And that's tough because it's a small priced item with low margins. Um, but, no, we did outsource our box design once I realized that we were going to have such a high-end product. I knew that the packaging needed to be high end. And you're right. I had no idea where to go. I didn't know any of the terms or the sourcing or anything. So thankfully, the firm that we hired, um, they they had already done some other candle companies, ironically, that I was familiar with. And um, they're out of Charleston. They're called Stitch Design Co. And they're amazing, but they're a full service firm, meaning they will not only design the packaging, but they will source the materials and the vendors handle those contracts, go through them and everything. You know, you're paying a little bit more and it's a little, you know, you're going through another person. And when it comes down to reordering and making changes and things like that, that can be a little tough. So, you know, we're kind of adjusting now that we've had that experience for a few years. But hugely beneficial to have somebody who's just got the knowledge of just what your options are, right? What are the different kinds of boxes? What what are what are they capable of? What are the features? All that kind of stuff. So, you know, it was worth it. It was a super big investment up front, but but ultimately I knew and I definitely had that vision. We're selling a $50 candle. It has to look like a $50 candle and and the box was the thing, you know? The box costs as much as the glass. Yeah. Straight up. Well, you know, we, we, and we have this kind of saying around the office, there's handmade and then there's just awful. <laughs> so it's a, kind of a fine line, but you know, like for us, it, it, you know, our product is very artisan and very handmade, but you can easily approach that line where you're just like, nope, that's awful. That's handmade. That's awful. And I definitely, I, I, I can feel the packaging woes. Um, Stitch, did they do, they did Rewind, did they? Mm-hmm. Yes. They're awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah, and so, they have their own line, their own product line. It's called, it's called Sideshow Press. Haha, <laughs> got it. Um, okay. They have, so it's like a stationary but novelty company, and, and they've just been cranking it out. I have no idea how they have time for both, to be honest. They're still doing design work you know, monthly, you know, releasing new clients and stuff. So the, but they have a big team now, but yeah, they, they kind of were in with a lot of different manufacturers and doing packaging design and branding and all that kind of stuff. And I think they just thought, Hey, we can flex our muscles 
in all these cool options that we know about now on how to get all this kind of stuff made and do it for ourselves. And so, you know, yeah, they they really just went for it. And it's been really cool to watch because their first like their first collection was like inspired by Sleepaway Camp. And so they had cute little like the like printed erasers. I mean, it was adorable. They have like patterned tape and uh, it's too much. It's so it's so cute. But yeah, they they had done. Rewind was a big kind of candle company that they were that put them on the map. And then since then, they've done Rewind actually branched out and they they own a couple other candle brands now that if you're not in the industry, you probably wouldn't put two and two together. But Produce Candles is also their company. Yeah. And, yep. mm-hmm. and yeah. there's another one. Actually, Viscera from Lush Nuts got us a candle for housewarming. And uh, I looked at the bottom, like, after a month. I was like, that's a really good candle. And it was, like, made by, you know, Rewind. And I was like, ah, that makes sense. Oh, is it is it Rome? Yes. Yeah. That's the other line. They they collaborated with this, like, designer who she does these beautiful, like, letter-pressed gold, like, city maps. And so then they did these candles inspired by different cities. And so there's, like, a Charleston one and, like, a Paris and I don't know. Oh, it's adorable. But, yeah, I figured it out. Um well, I figured it out before this, but when when Produce Candles launched and it was just like they came out of nowhere and they and Stitcher also did their packaging. They came out of nowhere. They launched at America's Mart in Atlanta with like a big booth and all this stuff. And I was like, mm, something's not right here. Like either someone's trust fund kicked in or this is a there's somebody bigger behind this because it's just not possible. Like it's yeah, you would have needed too much money to start that strong. Super impressive, but yeah, it's not it's not a single person operation. And that's kind of the thing, like as a you know, as a person who just has like ideas pumping out, like I think most entrepreneurs do. Um, you kind of have all like we have an idea for a more upscale line. We could never ever run that under Dan Hansel. It just wouldn't fit with the brand. Um, so you kind of have all these ideas, and I could totally understand why people. Um, or companies and brands, you know, do these mm-hmm. like alternative or sister brands or, or whatever. It, it yeah, it's really appealing and it's exciting if you if you have the capital to do it. Well, it's, a time. it's exciting, and if you already have the infrastructure in place, right? It's not an accident that everything subsequently that they have launched, and now they're pretty public with it because they created this like uh, umbrella company called Formatical, and so when they do trade shows, they are formatical and they have all the different brands kind of there under one umbrella but you have all the infrastructure in place to make candles to make soap whatever so the you understand that the packaging and the marketing can change the whole feel the whole perception the whole price point all of that kind of stuff so you're able then to use the infrastructure that you've built and the employees that you already have to just you know crank out another you know kind of product or another line and it makes sense i would do the same thing to be honest, eventually, everybody everybody does. You even look at some of the huge, the larger brands. And once you go to trade shows, you start to put two and two together. My last New York Now, I was walking, I call it the Hall O Candles because they put all the candle brands in like the same two aisles. And so it's infuriating. Um, but I was walking down the aisle and we were started talking to a couple of different companies. And I had no idea that these two I, I'm going to forget the names of the brands, but that these two brands were, were sister companies. Right. And they're based out of St. Louis. 
and they've been around for, you know, 20 years or whatever. And you just start to, you start to grow that way and see what people want and, you know, respond to the market, respond to trends, that kind of stuff. And, you know, you make changes and you adjust and you grow. And it's cool to see people that have been doing this for a long time and realize that it's not just a short-term hobby. Like this is a real business that can really grow to something long-term and sustainable as long as you kind of keep your eye on the pulse of what's going on in, in the industry, react accordingly. You hit on something really key is that you have to, you have to grow and you have to be fluid because I think, you know, in Kalamazoo, there are so many startups and there's a ton of creativity just like within Grand Rapids. And, um, what what's really kind of crazy is you talk to a lot of people who um, have a really great idea and some pretty decent branding, but it's not working for them. And their customers are letting them know in one way or another that it's not working, but they have this one vision in their head. Here's my brand. Here's what it should look like. Here's my company. And they're unwilling to change where, you know, for us over the past couple of years, our style, you know, the, the pillars have been the same, but we've mm-hmm. ebbed and flowed. And um, I think that, that that's paramount is you have to be willing to listen to people and you have to be willing to, to kind of to adapt as the whole culture is changing too. So it's, I think that's a huge thing to have. And, and sometimes when I see these companies who are just like, yeah, no, th- this is me. This is what I'm doing. And you're just like, well, no, but you could also be screen printing on this. Like that would be awesome. You could sell out during the holidays and like, no, but I just do this. I think that there, there, you know, I told, I I meant to touch on this before when you said, you know, there's a difference between handmade and crap and, or just ugly. I forget what the phrase was that you used. (laughs) Um, But for a while, I think you have to understand what the per- what the perception of the brand is or like what it needs to be. There are some people that they just want to be artists. They they don't necessarily want it to be a business. They don't necessarily like think about it the same way and I think that you and I having a marketing background, right? You see the problems and you're like you could fix this and make more money and it would sell better. And you know, not everybody has that thing. Not everybody they not everybody is built like that not everybody's re- just just wants that right and there was this like wholesale course i took where you know this the woman who was giving it she said you know think about the kind of life that you want and then re- think about like what running a million dollar business would really look like Does the life that you want to have with the time you want to spend with your kids, with your family, with all that kind of stuff, could you do both reasonably? If, you know, if the answer is no, there's nothing wrong with that either, right? If this is just going to be supplemental income for your family, whatever it is, you have to kind of know at the beginning what you want the, the end goal to be or, or the, you know, not end anyway, but you know, you have to kind of know what you're aiming for. And if that really makes sense based on your personality and based on just like your level of ambition and that kind of thing, because otherwise it, the two don't, the two don't go together. You know, I, I've given people suggestions for their business and realize like, that's just my opinion. And you know, would it sell better? Maybe, but I can't just go, I'm a, I'm a, you know, no filter kind of person. <laughs> Unfortunately, okay. I can't just go around giving people unsolicited advice about their company 
that's rude. Uh, but, you know, you, you see it all the time. I think that when it comes to handmade products, it it has kind of gotten – it depends on the marketing. It depends on the price point. It depends on what you want the perception of the brand to be. We stopped really using the word handmade in our marketing, and I replaced it really with the word luxury because it's not mass-produced, but ultimately I would I want to be a luxury brand. So I use the word hand-poured. But, you know, the glasses, they're not hand-painted. They're, you know, they're machine screen-printed. They're, the boxes are manufactured. You know, like, I I don't think that handmade really fits the the aesthetic anymore. It, you know, maybe it did when we were putting things in craft boxes and labels printed off of my computer. And, yeah, it was different. But And people loved that packaging. But I hated it because I knew when we were doing that 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 wasn't what we what I wanted it to be that I could see two years down the line and that wasn't what it was supposed to be. And everyone like liked it because it just looked put together. But I was like, oh, this looks like crap. It's just an opinion and it's just kind of depends on how you want the company to be perceived. What, you know, think about the kinds of stores you want it to be in. There are so many stores that we follow on Instagram that I like love that your products would fit in really well, that PF Candle Co.'s candles fit in really well. And I know that as much as I love this store, they're not our store. They're not our wholesale customer. Our products wouldn't fit in even visually, price point wise. Like it's, you know, we can't go after that urban general store market. It doesn't work. It's not our customer. As much as I love it as a concept and like, I want that in my life. That's not, you know, who we have to go after. So knowing really what your brand is and what, you know, you need to be saying about it, so important to have that clear vision kind of from the start. Yeah, absolutely. I also think that separating yourself from the brand and, you know, being a, a kind of a grooming cosmetic uh, company, you know, I, I'm not like the typical damn handsome guy. You know, when I see, we have a few friends, I'm like, that's the guy we're marketing to. <laughs> that is that guy. I, I'm not that guy. Um, and that's why it's so appealing to, to do like a sister company that's a little more um, refined and high end. But I think for me early on, it was really difficult to separate myself and my own desires for what I would purchase because it's not too far off a of damn handsome, but it's just a little, a little far off. Um, mm. And so I, I think, think that's a huge thing is to kind of take yourself, you, you've got to be totally into it, but then you have, have to be able to step aside and put yourself in the, the consumer's shoes and, and take your own personal kind of agenda out of it at some point. And you got to like have that checks and balance because if you don't, then, you know, oh, it can really get away from you. You know, you could have a business card that looks like this, a website that looks like that, a packaging that looks like that, and then uh, a candle scent that smells like that. You know, and it, if it doesn't all match up, then I think millennials, for sure, you've lost them already. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I was doing some uh, visual, like, I don't know what the word is. <laughs> I was doing a secret Pinterest board. I'm sure there's a better word for that. But um, for like our, our, yeah, a private, well, I think it's secret, <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, it's an inspiration board, visual inspiration um, for this new line that we're doing because we're having these fragrances made. And I, 
I just had this idea for how I wanted the collection to look. But after I kind of had put all these images together and it, it wasn't how I wanted the collection to look. It was how I wanted the collection to feel, to be honest. Right. All these images evoke this feeling. And all of a sudden I stepped back and I started to look at them all together. And I realized it was very like south of France summer, just kind of a little bit off, uh, beautiful, but like just not. I don't know. And then I was thinking about the kinds of fragrances that were going to be in this collection. And the two didn't match up. It it was not fresh feeling enough. It wasn't like bright enough it was just too warm and romantic and just a little too girly a little too european not in a bad way it was just like that was a beautiful visual thing that i loved but you have to realize like okay you're going a little off here you're you're starting to veer in another direction so it's important to kind of know what your core competencies are as a brand both visually uh, and for you know for you and me it has to do with the sense too right they all have to work together they have to be I, we couldn't come out with something tomorrow that's like so perfumey. It wouldn't make any sense, you know. Um, this summer we're launching our first ever scent that's like more floral, and I love it, but I'm also scared because I'm just like, <laughs> we don't have any other florals that people are gonna like this. But I know people liked it because we tested it at a Renegade last December, and we had three scents we were working on, and one that was like my number one was not you know everyone much more preferred this floral one so i was like okay i guess we'll go with this one so you know you got to give the people what they want i I understand that that total terrifying feeling of launching where we are about seven days away from launching our women's line and we i'm i'm excited nervous if that's a thing you know what i mean (laughs) like that like because we've we've been working on it for like two years, we've been formulating for like two years, and now it's down to you know packaging and things like that. And um, I, I I just I want to get it out there and want to get fe- more feedback than mm-hmm. what we've had. We've done small like test runs with people that we know, um, but it's like okay, well let's 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 hope people like it as much as they like the men's line, you know that kind of thing. Well, I'm so excited that you brought it up because I keep like seeing, you know, you guys reference it on Instagram. It has its own Instagram account, but it doesn't have any, you know, there are no product images yet. And so if you guys are about a week away from launching, then this episode should come out right around the same time, which is good. Um, Is there anything you can tell us about it or, you know, let people know where they can go if they want to check it out? Since I'm well, assuming our uh, audience is mostly women, to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to start with a soft launch on the Damn Handsome site. And that's just going to be while we work on the Damn Fancy site. But it will be damnfancy.com. Um, and we're kicking off with things that my wife has requested from day one. Uh, so we, we have a, a hot flower face serum. Um, we're doing a... We're doing a uh, sea salt hairspray, what? which, yes, uh, <laughs> uh, which has a little bit of cucumber gin in it, and it's it's got some really nice like dead sea salt. And then we also have a um, we have a body oil spray, and of course we have a lip balm. You have to have lip balm. Um, and then eventually we're going to break out. We have a, um, a fancy face wash. And um, I, we're doing a candle and we're doing, um, oh, oh man, what else? 
we're doing, it's on the tip of my tongue. We're doing a clay mask okay. and face scrub. We're, we, we have the ladies covered basically. Mm-hmm. So are, you, are you doing the clay fun. mask dry or? It, yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be dry. They get a little bit of water too and kind of plop it on and, and detox the skin. So it's, it's going to, it's a lot of fun. Uh, awesome. I, I will admit that I have walked around with it and tested it out. Um, <laughs> those photos will not show up on Instagram, but yes. So why don't we um, step back a little bit and talk about your process, you know, with wholesale and, and that kind of learning curve. So when you were kind of thrown into the fire and, you know, people are asking you for line sheets and if you're not from, if you're not in the industry and, you know, I wasn't when I started either, you have no idea what that means and just try to Google it. And let me just tell you, you won't find stuff that is helpful. Um, you know, how did you kind of tackle that process in the beginning? And I think a lot of people, when it comes to the line sheets, especially if you do have good visual branding, initially the concept is more paralyzing because you have this idea of perfection or this, this kind of big, more like a lookbook catalog. Like you want all this stuff. And ultimately none of that stuff is really necessary to get the sale. But if you let that kind of paralyze you it'll slow down your you know your ability to get the sale because you just need to get that out right away so kind of how did you handle that in the beginning and what did your first line sheets look like how did you guys attack that problem that's exactly what happened to us so we said oh my god we can create this beautiful visual thing we took photo flat lay photos on chalkboard and we overlaid text and it took I mean, we probably, I, we, I bet we lost at least a sale or an account, you know, because it took so long. Um, and finally, we, we have graduated to, we have a, a password protected site now that our accounts can go and shop on. And it's, um, the feedback has been good. I, I feel like people like that because really what happened for us is we would send out a line sheet and then we'd have to send out an order sheet through Excel or something like that. And then they'd have to fill that out. Some people aren't really adapted well enough to do that. And then they have to send it back. <laughs> then you have to invoice them. So we said, okay, guys, if you just want to like check out online, would that help? And that's what we ended up doing. We ended up going with uh, a private Square, Squarespace site just for wholesalers that they can log on to with a pass- their own password and just kind of order at their convenience. And... Um, that seems to be the most, you know, just cutting out all the other stuff because something always gets lost or you end up hounding somebody for an invoice, which you know that it's not because they don't have money to pay or that they don't want to pay. It gets lost in the shuffle and, um, you know, then you, you've got to spend mm-hmm. half an hour, two weeks doing all that stuff. So we made the big mistake at first at trying to make it a beautiful interactive PDF line sheet. That didn't work. So now we've kind of, we've gone to the, a more of an online shopping experience for wholesalers. And we've also included things like, um, you know, free photo downloads that they can download and they're free to post on their own accounts or on their own websites or anything like that. Just things that kind of help tell our story and, and help them feel like um, we're supporting their sale as well. 
So it's, it's, I hope that we can continue that and, you know, it helps that we do all our own photos and things like that. Um, but I would suggest any sort of collateral that you can provide your wholesale accounts. It's just like, it means the world to them. That's a great idea. So when they check out on this, do they kind of process the payment then up front immediately or is there a way for them to delay? Well, probably uh, 90% of them do process immediately. Um, we have some larger accounts that the way that their system is not set up, they, they aren't allowed to do that. So then they have a code, their own code that they can check out. Uh, without paying, and then we invoice them based on that um, that receipt. But the goal is to have everyone, just like how I order, you know, essential oil or wax or anything like that. You know, I I pay for it there; it ships out, and mm-hmm. it's very much um, cutting out the whole invoicing part of it because that is that can get ugly. Yeah, I mean, it it depends on who you're. So you've kind of made this the only option. Correct for your wholesalers, or do you have store? Okay, because yeah, I think that it's it's tough. It depends on who your stores are, but if I mean who the buyers are and really how, I think just like how tech savvy they are. Because we, I mean, right now we still do online PDF catalog like lookbook kind of thing, and then we have an order form. But they can also just email us with what they want. And for most reorders, they don't go, they don't fill out the whole order form. They just send us an email. But then you know. M- our wholesale account manager has to create an invoice and the thing. And, you know, it is a process for sure. But we went through, I went through the painstaking trouble of creating this fillable PDF, right? (laughs) And nine times out of 10, what we'll get back is a printed out, written on, scanned back and signed. And it drives Sasha crazy (laughs) because she's (laughs) changed the wording in the email so many times. Like, that to let people know that it's a fillable PDF, but it just doesn't, it doesn't compute, you know, it's just, so I, I really would like to do the whole online store thing. And I just think I have to kind of get on, get on top of it. Um, for our stores, I don't think we would make it like the exclusive way that they, they have to shop, but I think it would be easier for most people. And, Ultimately, in a kind of sneaky way, that helps with cash flow a little bit. You're not running down people for payments and, you know, you get the, the payment up front. How does it right. calculate yeah. shipping? Yeah, we, we kind of set it out. We, you know, we can pretty much figure it out per uh, price point. Um, but, you know, for us, if, if we ever encountered an account who had, in it, who were, who said, you know, this is not how we do it. We, we want an invoice. I think we would still have them check out online just so it just seems like it, it creates, um, I don't know what, I, I think it creates a different experience. I also think that they're able to just kind of cut out all the back and forth about it. And they can always call us. Um, I prefer that they call instead of email, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm sure anyone who's a startup or, you know, a micro business, small business, you're just inundated with email. Like, oh my God. Like, I would rather have a phone call at this point, you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think we can offer them other th- other digital things online. Um, and it's more of an expanded uh, line sheet because they can read about the notes. And, and they'll actually copy – some people will copy and paste and, and put them on product cards. And, um, 
things like that. What we also have done, and I don't know if this is common, but we've also grouped our products in bundles. So it's a bundle of 10 soaps and a bundle of Got know, it. six beard oils. Because we were running into the thing, the thing where people were ordering one beard oil or one soap. Right. And we kind of wanted to, to phrase it as, you know, hey, we're, we're helping you guys. We're, um, this is the best way to merchandise this. This looks better in a bulk of 10 on your shelf than a bulk of four. And I mean, part of that is, is very, very true, but also part of it is, you know, let, let's commit to the product. Let's get behind it. Like if you guys want to carry this, let's carry it. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure we've alienated some people in that process, but um, I don't think I would change it. No, it's a smart thing to do. I think that like upping your minimums that way, like it scares people like as a manufacturer, you're scared to do it because you right, you're afraid you're going to alienate people. But ultimately, you know that stuff sells better when there's just a bigger display of it. The retailer has made more of a commitment. They're more motivated to sell it to get rid of it because they just spent all this money. Um, and it just, it, it works out better. You know that you're, you know, now after doing this for a couple of years, your best accounts are the ones that order the most frequently, that carry the most product, that are always stocked up. The ones that you only hear from every six months or like what, you know, they, every order is like a $300 order, just barely above your minimum or whatever it is. And you're just like, oh, this is so painful. If, if you're feeling that pain, your minimum isn't high enough, number one. Right. Like I think we're probably will up our reorder minimum because when someone comes in at a reorder of like 152, kind of want to kill someone like it's not happy. It's not a good time. It's not, you know, not making me feel good. So we can do that one of two ways. One, I think what we're going to try to do right now is keep the minimums for opening order and reorder the same, but up our per skew minimum so that if you're going to commit to six fragrances, you got to, like like you said, you have to commit. So we, we're changing the per skew minimum from three to six um, and four on our expensive candles because people just can't spend that much money. <laughs> but, you so know. What do you do about like on-shelf collateral? Do you send collateral like about your company? And, and We, in the beginning, I had one or two stores that asked for it. And I think that in the beginning... I didn't know what to say about it. Like it was still like we weren't good enough yet at like talking about it or like listing the features and that kind of stuff. So what we just started doing recently, like a month ago, was instead of necessarily like shelf collateral, um, because all the stores are different and a lot of the stores that we're in, they're they're merchandised less as like shelf general store kind of ways and more just like you know, it's soft merchandising. Like it's all kind of flowing together with like lots of different stuff. So what we started to do was create these little like educational cards in our wholesale order boxes specifically for the retailer for the sales staff because the questions that they're going to get or what the customer needs to know, the best way for them to communicate it or for it to be communicated to the customer is in a verbal communication of talking about it. Um, Primarily with our wooden wicks because they require slightly different maintenance and even though all the information is on the box it's on the bottom of the candle it's there it's written people don't read that stuff um and we had a couple stores where one or two customers would come back and say oh it's not staying lit or it's not you know this and that and um it was a very simple fix of just like you weren't trimming the wick or something really simple but if the store doesn't know the answer then they're afraid then they have a bad 
taste in their mouth of a customer just brought something back, you know, to say, hey, I bought a $50 candle and it's not burning. You know, we've lost accounts from from stuff like that. So and we know that they burn fine. I've been, you know, but if you don't, if you don't know how to, you know, it's it's tricky. So what we're trying to do right now is more educate the stores and, and the staff. Um, so we made these cute little cards and, and stuff like that. And they definitely could post it if they wanted it's not worded in a weird way like they definitely could just stick it on the shelf in a in a stand if they wanted to um but that's not primarily what they're designed for and what we did do was created these like laser cut um wood displays for our testers so that each scent has its own little like indentation so that you can see the scent and then pick it up and smell it without trying to read what's on the glass or turn it over or anything like that. Um, it, it now, ha- do you charge for your testers? For the testers? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We so ch- that, that, that's kind of like an issue that we've we've had um, where we have a lot of accounts. People who want them for free. A couple for free. We've had some that are even. It doesn't matter their size. They they've just been in the game long enough where they go. They're going to MOS it. And they're just going to mark it out as one out of stock, and they're cool with that. Um, we have some that are like, oh, well, so-and-so company gives me, you know, every beard bomb, one of every beard bomb for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm always curious how other stores do that. When I when I first started, we didn't even offer testers because I was just like, just take one out of the box and stick it. Like I was like, I don't care how you figure it out. Like it's not my problem. That was not necessarily the right <laughs> attitude to have. And then somebody who had been in the you know in the business for a while, when she she was emailing back and forth and she asked about them, and I said, you know, we I haven't done them before. We don't know. I don't really know what to charge for them. Like you know, she said that it's a pretty much industry standard for candles to do fifty percent off the wholesale price. So for some of our candles, like that was going to come in just at cost almost. So what we decided to do was since they're supposed to be testers and I don't want you to be motivated to sell them. um, And this is not necessarily something that would work for you guys. But for the candles, the full size ones, we ship them without a box. So we just Mm -hmm. bubble wrap them and mark them tester and, you know, we'll send it to you that way. Um, And then the travel candles, we don't offer testers in because stick it on a shelf like, I, you know. You don't need – it's its own tester. Like, you can open it and smell it. It's not in a box that you're going to open and kind of destroy or anything like that. So that was kind of how we handled that. And what I think you could do or what a company worth, you know, what I've seen some other companies do that are selling, like, lip balms or some stuff that's, you know, maybe smaller um, or that testers are really necessary. I think you guys are selling skincare products or, like, people need to try it out. Um I think that what you can do is, you know, you've just kind of built it into your packs, right? Like every pack of 10 gets a tester every time you order one. Um, or you can just, you can figure it out where like your first order over $600, you would get free testers, whatever it is. You kind of figure out the price point that is an incentive. You can do it as a twice a year promotion or something like that. You know, um, what that's what we did for our uh for the wood displays because they're optional and so we sell them to the retailer pretty much just at cost for us but one year we did you know okay order over $500 and you'll get a display for free um 
We did a display for free or free shipping. Almost everybody took the free shipping, but it was about the same price. Like it was, it was about the same dollar amount. So it didn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I think that if you just kind of did it where like, okay, every pack of 20, like maybe if it's, maybe it's not 10, if 10 is the regular pack, you say, oh, order 20 and your tester is free. Right. Also, we had kind of people that were, we had to change our, our, the wording of our terms because people would put like three testers for one cent, like in their car, you know, not cart, but like on the order form. And I was just like, no, like I'm not doing that. Well, they were burning them in store, which, okay, you're allowed to do that, but you can't order three testers when you're ordering three candles. (laughs) <laughs> right like you can't order yeah. six guava fig put three of them are testers no if you were ordering 20 i might give you three because i'm feeling really nice about it but like you know so people sometimes they just don't know uh like the this the particular situation the woman was like oh yeah i'm sorry i didn't you know we just like them to burn them in store but it's okay you know we just to- we just told her no you know like it, sometimes you just have to reword your you have to reword your terms as pro- as problems arise, you know, just kind of like watch out for people who are trying to take advantage of you. Um, but most of the time, the, it's not malicious in any way. It's just people don't people don't understand or um, but we realize that, you know, burners like in store burners and stuff like that. It it's an industry thing that has become popular. If somebody walks into a store and it smells really good and they say, what's that smell? And then you say, oh, it's this new candle line. We got it. Like you're going to sell more candles. Ultimately, you have to realize that like these are marketing expenses. Make sure you, you're calculating them as such. You're, you're ta- making sure you talk to your accountant about how can I make sure that this is accurately getting affected, you know, reflected in our books, blah, blah, blah. Like I want, you know, but the more you help your stores, right, ultimately, stuff will sell better and and you have to just think about it that way like you're just incentivizing them to sell more product and talk about it and all that kind of stuff so it's hard when in the beginning like you said you're draining your bank account and then selling all the product and then draining your bank account so you're watch you're nickel and diming them but ultimately that doesn't produce the best results long term yeah it's definitely a fine line yeah so i noticed that you guys um you sell in Urban Outfitters. Are you guys in store or are you just online? Uh, we're both, actually. Um, we're in kind of the larger markets in store, like uh, Chicago, um, Brooklyn, Portland, Austin, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but we we do we do kind of a split between online and uh, their their in store. So it's. It's kind of one of those things that was on my bucket list um, a long time ago. I thought, man, if we could just make it into Urban Outfitters, right? Like if we could just get in there. And they actually reached out to us last summer and I thought it was fake. It's like, there's no <laughs> way. Um, and then we had to send a lot of product for test and approval and they do their own not only kind of like customer tests, but they do their own um, for cosmetics and beauty care products. They do their own like safety testing and hazard testing and all that. Oh, interesting. It was quite a process, but they ended up, uh, I think going with five SKUs altogether. And now we're in the process of submitting um, a couple more for them that we really hope that they'll enjoy too. That's awesome. So they've been reordering 
if you said last summer, yeah, it's been a consistent they, relationship. Yeah, they do. They, they reorder, I would say, probably every other month or so. Wow. Um, and it's always interesting dealing with a bigger brand like that because they have their own shipping process and their own, you know, skew process. And it's, um, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it at first, but it, you know, it finally clicks and it works out. You know, you have to ship cartons a certain way and they go to two different DCs and then you have to bag them a certain way. And one of the things that we kind of had, um, little hesitation about is you have to individually pack things in poly bags, Mm -hmm. which kind of goes against our whole um, ethos a little bit. So we kind of worked it out where we don't have to do that, where we can do something a little more sustainable. So it's, it's, they're so cool. You know, it's, it's really been a pleasure working with them. And I think first they're fans. I think that's how they initially found us. Hmm. Um, Someone had a friend who tried a product and, it just kind of happened like that. So that's always exciting. You know, we didn't have to hound them or anything like that. So it's a good feeling. Yeah, that's great. We we went in um, last holiday season with Urban and we didn't have to poly back. We had to individually box the travel candles in like cartons. Um, but, you know, I was able to find cheap recycled. I mean, they were just for like the online store so they could have they wouldn't get damaged and stuff like that. So that worked out OK. Um, but little things that changes, right? Like we had boxes for the travel candles for, for shipping that were like perfectly sized. And once we added these little cartons, all of a sudden the boxes that we had like a hundred of didn't fit anymore. So you had to order size up. It was complicated. Um, but I think that the one downside to our relationship with Urban Outfitters was that they were acquired at a trade show through a sales rep that we were working with. And I don't have that personal relationship with them. So we weren't able to like get the feedback mm-hmm. or how did it do or how did it, you know, so then not getting the reorder is like, that's the hardest part, you know, feeling like this could be a much better ongoing relationship if I knew what they were looking for. Um, even to, even to pitch stuff to them, like, you know, you, you could just have that relationship and that's more beneficial, you know, more valuable long term. Um, but no, I think it's great. I mean, they're really, especially in the beauty space or just, you know, skincare, whatever, they're aggressively going after that market. And I would not be surprised if they opened standalone beauty stores soon. Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. They They carry a lot of, I mean, our competitors, but people that, you know, when we first started in this space, we really looked up to. And I was at the Chicago store for this uh, past spring and they had our product and they had everybody else's. And it was really interesting to test all of these other guys who like for us, they're like these huge companies. And uh, we were there and there was a guy like next to us. He was like, oh, damn handsome. I've been wanting to try this. It's so good, you know? And it was like so fulfilling to go, all right, we're like a tiny, tiny company and we do things by hand and we're beating out like, you know, Imperial Barber and like all these like really like high end companies and people are responding to it. It was so amazing. Like it was just, I walked out of there and I was like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cloud, right. That's a cloud nine kind of a scenario. Um, I, yeah. The Chicago Urban Outfitters is the only place I've seen them in person. Um, just I happened to be there. And what I noticed, what I thought was really interesting was 
I think that each urban store has the like liberty to merchandise how they want within the store. So in Chicago, they were in like the men's section upstairs, <laughs> like next to like a bat, it, like very interesting. And then, but like friends of mine from like other, you know, other places that had taken some pictures, they were either like in the beauty section with like lots of women's products or just like randomly on a shelf next to some jeans. Like it was all over the place. So it, that I kind of thought was interesting because I'm like, well, how, what's the consistency here? And like, how, you know, how are people going to find them? But um, it was still, it's such a cool, it's such a cool experience, you know, definitely you were saying like, it's a learning curve. Um shipping with them but i feel like they have the one of the best systems set up to work with independent stores because they let you log into their edi like to their back end right they don't require you to have your like it it takes a minute to learn it but after that a thousand times easier than shipping for nordstrom like at, so much easier and so much just such a better service to the manufacturer especially because they are dealing with these small companies, like not hassling you, not, you know, forcing you into software that you're, you can't afford or you're too small to really handle. No, because some of these places will, right? Like to some EDI systems are like $50,000 a month. And you, you're not that size of a company. You're never going to be really, to be honest. But, you know, so with Nordstrom, we had to get approved as a non EDI vendor. That just meant, Everything was nine times harder because the everything was manual. All the paperwork was yeah. manual. I had to manually print out all the box labels where like with with Urban, it was like you just put, put in the size and then just printed them all. And you were like, yes. Um, so I, I really yeah. appreciate that they're looking out for the, the smaller companies that way. I mean, I know they get some bad press. They've done some mm, shady things. But for because, yeah. you know, there's been a lot of copying and stuff. There's it goes both ways. But the companies that they work with that they do you know, buy directly from, they really are, you know, they care about the smaller manufacturer. Yeah, like, you know, for us, they um, they bought a fairly small, like, introductory order, but they, like, mm -hmm. featured us on their page, and they did, like, this whole illustration, and it was just, like, you know, we had no idea that they were going to do that, and it was, so it was just, like, okay, here's someone who actually is supporting people, and that's really nice, because... That's awesome. Like you said, not, not all companies do that, you know. Um, the bigger ones just, not that they don't care, but it just gets shuffled through like seven people. Like when we go through Gap, like we're on an email chain with like probably 50 eight people. people. Oh my God. And I you're can't. just like, who am I talking to about this? Everyone has uh, to be CC'd on everything and it just becomes such a mess. I hate it. And then like every month someone will like drop out of the company and somebody new will come <laughs> in, right? So you're just like, all right, here's my new contact, I guess. That's why I don't so, worry too much about like big store buyers and like the those relationships are important, but at the end of the day, those people will move through very quickly or they just move to a different department or they change jobs or whatever. It's very different than fostering a relationship with an independent store owner, you know, who's going to be there for the next 10 years or whatever it is. So yeah, it's a it's a different game for sure, but it's super validating as much as sometimes it doesn't always financially make sense. And, and I really do encourage people, if you get approached by a large company, to like do the math backwards and forwards, talk to your accountant, make sure your numbers are right, make sure you can afford what you're promising to do and that you're actually going to make money at the end of it because I have heard horror stories. But once that's all kind of said and done, it's super 
it's super validating. Yeah, it really is. And, and I think that's, you know, there's a lot of growing pains in scaling up like that. And um, I don't know if it ends, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think scaling up is just this torturous process that, um, that when you get through it, you're just like, you reach this plateau and you're like, yes, this is so great. And then you kind of go off the roller coaster again and again, you know, um, at least for us, you know, being independent and yeah, I'm sure for you, Sarah, but it's scaling up is just, it's really tough to do, especially if you have to do it very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have to do it within like two months, somebody comes and says, Hey, we need, uh, let's say 3000 units and you're not going to leave that that money on the table, Mm -hmm. but to get all the raw goods, all the, you know, to do that is, that's really hard to scale up. And then what happens if they're not a return customer, you know? Yeah. So it's- I, I think that when we were first kind of going through those big orders, uh, we were processing Nordstrom and Urban Outfitters roughly at around the same time. It was about a period of six weeks between the two. I mean, for the production of the two. Um, and it was a ton. What the mistake I made was really not, um, not looking at the total amount volume wise and just ordering all of that raw goods up front, trying to work through it week by week. We were constantly running out of stuff. We would run out of wicks. We would run out of labels. And I didn't know how I was so behind, but it was because every time I ordered something like, let's just say labels or whatever, wicks or whatever, like I'd order 200 of them every time because that was just what I had been doing. Right. And before 200 would last up two months or whatever. And now 200 was lasting a week, not even like less than a week. Okay. Whatever. 200 is a bad example. It was more than that. Um, but <laughs> you know, like Wix, I, I just wasn't used to just, just, just dealing with the numbers. It wasn't even the money, just getting used to those kinds of quantities. But a real, like finally I was just like, okay, we're going to just buy, you know, just buy a thousand of them every time, buy 2000 of them, 3000 of them. And I just never wanted to be in that position where we were running out of stuff where I had to stop production for the day because we ran out of one of the five things that you needed. Right. You ran out of warning labels. You ran out of like, I mean, it was, it felt like every day it was another, you know, it was something else. And it was just my inexperience showing um, but it was definitely like a huge learning process, but you know, now well, it's something that I won't, won't do again. Well, it's so refreshing to hear that because that was totally us probably every holiday season, to be honest, because you know, everyone's like, so what is your volume per year? And you're just like, um, I don't know because it's changing every month. Like it's really hard to plan and budget. And, you know, I think we're really fortunate to be in that position, but a lot of people, even people who are starting up ask me, so, so what, what is like, you know, your average month, like spend on raw goods. And it's just like, you know, I don't know. I I don't know. Like, I wish I did, but I don't. Yeah. And, um, sometimes I think that's really hard for people to hear, (laughs) you know? Well, I think so like last month we were really starting to just like hit a bad place where, you know, it's kind of our slower part of the year, no money in the bank, like trying to pay for these new boxes, like just just a f- feeling like everything was like I was flailing. And I sat down with our accountant and we went over like our projections and she was like, okay, well, but in order to sell this much, right, you're projecting this much in sales for this month. How much wax is that? 
And I was like, I don't know. We just buy it every week or like as needed, right? Like I don't, I wasn't thinking, I, like I had our projections. I could kind of accurately project our monthly sales and we were pretty much on target. Like that was good. But I wasn't thinking about the other end. I was looking at like our fixed costs, like rent, payroll, that kind of stuff, stuff that didn't change. And, and then our projected sales. But I wasn't looking at our projected raw goods costs based on sales. And she was just like, okay, well, you need to figure that out. And so, you know, it wasn't hard. I just sat down with the spreadsheet and came up with a metric of like, okay, for every $2 in wholesale, it's about an ounce of wax. Okay. Just, and then run that up multipliers and whatever. And so then I was able to figure out, okay, this month we'll probably use about, you know, roundup for waste and other things, but like an average of this many pounds, an average of this many pounds of oil, of fragrance oil, that kind of stuff. And once I was able to see that, it made everything, it made our cash flow spreadsheet complete because it wasn't just fixed stuff and sales. It was fixed stuff plus materials plus, you know, subtracted from your total dollar, you know, projected sales. And then we had a cash flow spreadsheet, which showed we weren't going to make any money for the next two months. But um, at least I knew that. And then I could also just say, okay, these are going to be tight. I know they're going to be tight, but also it means hey, if we, we're not that far off. If we just push for a couple, one or $2,000 extra these two months, which is not a lot in sales, like in wholesale, it's like four or five customers, you know, three to five customers extra every month that we're going to, that we're like a little under. If we just push and know that, okay, our projections are about here, but really we need to be here. Then at least you have a goal. You're kind of like looking forward to that goal. And it's been these last couple of weeks really just like sitting down with my accountant for like some serious tough love on our cash flow projections. Cause she's like, you could be profitable at the end of the year and still be cash poor for half of the year if you're not managing it carefully. Right. Because like you said, we're growing every month. This holiday season is bound to be huge. I mean, just because it is compared to last season, I'm sure it'll be big. Um, but you can't just go blindly into your most profitable season without a plan to save for your least profitable season, which is right now. It's <laughs> lovely. Um, but, you know, you have to kind of like – you have to know that stuff. And, and sometimes it's hard to look at that stuff. Like I, I reran our metrics, like our margins for our most expensive product, and they're still not where I want them to be. They're still low. But I wasn't going to lie to myself about how much we're really making per unit. Like, you just have to face that. It's like tough self-love. Uh, just be honest with where you're at and kind of what you could do to make it better or that kind of stuff. Just like looking at them continually, continually checking to make sure that they're accurate. And every six months going back over them, have any of your prices changed? Have any of your vendors all of a sudden started charging you twice as much in shipping? Like, Checking everything. Don't just go from like what you first put in that spreadsheet the first time. Have they raised the price of your fragrance? Right. One of our like our fragrance supplier, they just raised they just raised all their prices. And yeah, I was like, what? And so we had to, you know, scramble and because it was like thirty percent. Oh yeah. You know, it was insane. And it may be the same supplier. I don't know. But, we'll talk uh, about it after. Yes. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, that's that. Like, you know, uh, 
we know that's not the going rate. So what's up? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really tough to like work on your business when you're working in your business, but it's also, you know, imperative that you step away and you do those things that probably you didn't get into it to do in the first place, like accounting and, you know, yeah. uh, payroll and taxes and all that stuff. So that's, the fun stuff that creative people really want to do every day. Yeah, exactly. So either you hire somebody to do that or, you know, you, you have to sit down and face the music. What I think that, like, initially it felt kind of weird hiring employees to work in the business because I there was a short period of time where I was like, I don't know what I need to do every day. And the reality was what I needed to do was be in the books more and like all of that kind of stuff that I was just like ignoring because I just didn't want to do it. But I realized like, okay, if I hired somebody, but now I feel like I've hired people to the point where I no longer have work to do, something is wrong because there's work to be done. And you're just not, you're just not doing it. Um, So you have to decide because ultimately I decided I don't want to hire a bookkeeper right now. We have a great accountant, but she's, you know, more like consults with us and she does our taxes and things like that, but she's not in the books every week. Like that's my job. You know, that needs to be my job. But I, I realized that I wanted it to still be my job because I needed to know this stuff. Like I need to understand it. If eventually it becomes someone else's job, that's great. For right now, I need to know it backwards and forwards because this is my education. As a small business owner, this is my like MBA. Like I, I joke and I say it's like an MBA by fire. Um, but it really is, you know, like this is learning everything, how your marketing affects your sales, like all the connected stuff. Like if marketing is my strong suit, this is my former job. Like I'm not spending enough time on our marketing. I'm not spending enough time on our, our email newsletter calendar. Like I'm not doing the things that like need to get done to really make the business run. Um, Effect, you know, effectively and profitably, uh, because I just want to be the creative person all the time. I just want to be taking photos for Instagram and dreaming up new collections and doing all that stuff that's super fun, but also, you know, expensive. <laughs> but it's, it's my experience, like, so it's so like refreshing to hear that because that's what you get up and you want to do, but <laughs> you can't all the time. You just can't. So it's. It's good to know that other people go through that too. I think that, you know, the, there's this whole like mantra in the creative community of like, if you get, you know, if you wake up every day and you love what you're do, you do, you'll like never work a day in your life or like, you know, thank God it's Monday or like the people who just, they, they glorify the work and it's true. Like I do love what I do, but that doesn't make it easy. And it doesn't mean that it's just fun all the time. Well, it's cycling back hard. To, yeah, and cycling back to the first, you know, kind of how we started out with, you know, everyone thinks what they see on Instagram, you're rolling in money or, you know, your, your, your life is so great. You know, your blog is so awesome. Your house must be perfect. <laughs> you know, whatever. Um, there is so much work behind that, that I don't think people realize, you know, that, um, it's not like people just get up and snap photos or just get up and dream up something and and push it out. Like, you know, there's a lot of things that are maybe not calculated, but there's so much energy behind 
what you see and hopefully it's transparent. It could not be, but hopefully like we try to be as transparent as possible, but you know, there's still a lot of energy that goes beyond that because if we posted just like random shots <laughs> or random things, like people would be like, okay, well, I don't want to work for you. So what, I, what are you posting that for? So um, I think that it's, it's really interesting to know that there's a whole lot of things that go beyond what people just see on the surface. And um, yeah, Some I think that anyone looking to start out, if they're just like following someone on Instagram, they're like, oh yeah, I could totally do that. Like people would, you know, email us and be like, you know, I'm going to create my own beer oil company. And it's just like, you know, if you are good for you, go for like, it, bro. Go for it. See, let's talk in about six months and let's see. I try not to be like rude about that kind of stuff because ultimately like there are a lot of other candle companies. We There are a lot of candle companies that follow me on Instagram. That's okay. Um, and I'm, I'm not so much like worried about people. Like it's a really crowded industry. Like you're a little more on trend and a little more in a niche. Like I'm in a super crowded industry and I feel like new ones pop up every single day but I know that there are only a handful of people that want to take it to the level that I want to take it to so I'm not really concerned I, I don't actually say that to people oh, no, no, like I, know. My, I know I like, know I don't say that to people but it's kind of breweries, right like there's so many breweries in Michigan and West Michigan and it takes a certain level of pedigree to survive the cycles of that process and you know just like with with our industries you know you really have to be on your top game all the time and you have to be growing and evolving otherwise you know you'll literally be left in the dust so it's the people who are really good at their craft and really passionate about it i think survive all that and um i i hope that's what we can do the the kind of funniest example I have of like my life is not my Instagram account is um about a year maybe a year and a half ago like right about when I moved to Grand Rapids like maybe a couple months after I get this email from Design Sponge and they were like we love your you know your candles and we bet your house is like just as cute and we want to do like a home tour and I was like I don't have a home like, I don't have a home for you to tour. I don't. I still don't. Two years later, I, I, like, I'm renting a room in someone's house. Like, I don't have a home for you to tour. It's not cute. There are clothes on the floor everywhere. Like, it's not, please do not come and photograph it. Like, no. <laughs> and I felt so yeah. bad because I was like, I would love, how much would I love press from Design Sponge? But like, it just, it wasn't, you know, the reality. And I think that it kind of goes back to like separating yourself from the brand a little bit. And like, Reminding your friends, like your close family and friends, that like your Instagram account is a marketing tool and like if they need to know about your life, like they can be friends with you on Facebook or whatever. Like you need to have a place yeah. where like people who know you can post pictures, you know, whatever. Like your Instagram is not about you. Like I I posted a picture of myself on our account for the probably the first time in nine months maybe like the other day I mean I was like do people even know like who I am or what I look like I post more pictures of my employees than like pictures of myself but that's just because like this isn't about it's not about me like it's not 
it's not a personal Instagram account. Like it's, you know, occasionally I go on vacation, I'll take some pictures, but only if they're on brand. <laughs> like I'll take pictures. Like I took this really beautiful photo and I really wanted to post it. And I didn't because it was too red. It was a not on brand. It has too like the tones were too warm. I couldn't fix it with a million ViscoCam filters or whatever. And so like I just put it on Facebook. Like sometimes you just, you know, you you can't post everything. Like Instagram is not your real life. It's okay. That's literally like I feel like why I started this podcast because there are people who just they have all of these similar experiences, but it just doesn't get talked about enough. Um you know that we're all we're all kind of going through the same thing and that's kind of what's the most encouraging to hear it's just reassuring and comforting ultimately yeah we we definitely um we we do like a a weekly thing with viscera <laughs> we all go out for beers and we just kind of <laughs> like you know cuz you kind of need to you need to vent and you need to figure out what other people are doing that's working and um it's just there's camaraderie that's really nice, especially when you're kind of on your own. And mm-hmm. uh, that's what I love. You know, as soon as Viscera said, you have to check out this podcast that Sarah is doing. And, of course, the first one I listened to was uh, Kristen from PF. And, you know, it's just like I understand everything that they are saying. <laughs> everything. Um so it's for us, you know, when, when we started talking, it was just like, I would love to share like some of the experiences and maybe there are more negative than positive, like what comes across when you're talking like this, but you know, it is the reality of, you know, there, there's a lot of hurdles and it's nice to be able to, to connect and share that with people because you're not alone when you're doing this. I kind of joke that like this must be such a depressing show to listen to because I feel like every episode is just like me and whoever the guest is commiserating about money and cash flow problems and stressful situations and our sad personal lives. Um, But the truth is that like I think for people who are doing this also like I I have heard from so many people like this is what I listen to in the studio while I work and I used to listen to podcasts in the studio, you know, when I was by myself, that was my number one thing to like, you know, make the time go by. So like the longer, the better. Um, And that's like who I created this for, because if this is what you're doing, it's not discouraging. It's not depressing. It is reassuring. It is comforting. It is that thing that that reassures you that like, A, you're not crazy. B, you know, everyone goes through this. You're on the right track because my, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with my mom where I've just been venting and she gets so sad because she just sees me struggling. Right. And, and I can just hear it in her voice. She feels so bad because she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to help me. She doesn't have any answers. And she so then she just gets really sad. And then she's just like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know how to help you. And I'm just like, Mom, I don't need your help. I just need to, like, talk to somebody. I joked with Bissera on the last episode, but it was, like, after we had already set up the recording that, like, we all need to be in therapy, but none of us can afford it. So this is just my, like, super inexpensive therapy session with everybody, just, like, publicly talking about all my stress so that I don't have to call my mom and complain and then make her really sad. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This is definitely going to be a long one, but we'll try to edit it down a little bit. (laughs) But I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll have to have you guys back on um, a little after the damn fancy launch, and we can talk about kind of how that went and 
that'll be really awesome. I'd love to talk to your wife too, because I know she's been really instrumental in creating that, you know, collection for you guys. Absolutely, Sarah. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you guys so much for listening and sticking through to the end of a very long episode. I hope you really enjoyed it. If you enjoy this show, please leave a review and a rating on iTunes. I would really, really appreciate it. And let me know what you thought of this episode in the comments on my post on Instagram. I can't wait to share with you guys next week's episode. I've recorded it already and it's really going to be a great one. For more information on the show, check out FromMakerToManufacturing.com for more details about me. You can follow me on Instagram at Simply Curated. You can follow me on Twitter at Sarah Cooley. Or you can send me an email, Sarah at SimplyCurated.com. Thank you guys so much for listening again, and I will see you next time. Bye! Bye.